So yesterday, I'm sitting down to watch. Most of you guys know me. I love basketball. Basketball is like one of my favorite things ever to do. Um, there's something about it that, uh, especially this time of year with like the Final Four, and it's just like, even like people that don't like basketball suddenly like basketball again, right? And so I'm sitting down and getting ready to watch basketball, and, and I watch it, and there's a guy doing an interview afterwards, and I'm watching going, oh yeah, he played good. He was, oh yeah, he was awesome the way, you know, I don't remember how many assists, points he had, but he's played a great game. And then I get this text. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, speaking of Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in the grave. Amen. Gosh. It just, it hit me yesterday while all these people were taking about a, you know, a 30-inch ball and throwing it through a one-yard hoop. And we're like, well, that's good. It's like, what'd you do? Oh, I just defeated death. I mean, it's like, gosh, like what a privilege it is to know Jesus Christ and, and to know what, what he did. And, and I think especially just to know um, those of you that know Jesus, we now have no fear of death ever. My grandfather just passed away Thursday. He's a guy that walked with Jesus for like 60 years. And I'm not talking just walk. Homeboy walked. And at the end of it, man, I can't wait to go do his funeral because I'll tell you what, he was in terrible pain before he passed away. This is the best Easter ever in all his life. It's going to be phenomenal. And this is what it's about. Now, where it all started, the cool part about where all this started is, and the reason that everyone's here today to celebrate is the resurrection. So let, let me walk you through John 20. That's the book we've been in. We've been walking it through. But in verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the, t- the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John. He was blown away by Jesus' love for him, so he called himself the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going towards the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now that's a total male thing right there, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> John's like writing, and you understand he's almost 80 years old. He's like, just so you know, I, I, I won. I mean, it's like, <laughs> women would just be like, no, you know, we got together. Um, verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths. Look at this lying there. They weren't unwrapped. They were absolutely as if the body had just come out lying there. But that one, John, even though he won, he was a scaredy cat. He didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, being who Simon Peter is, came following him and went into the tomb, saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and look at this, he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, for he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes." See, that little phrase up there, then he believed, is the key behind all of it. These people that knew Jesus, that walked with Jesus, they knew Jesus had been warning them this was coming. But all of a sudden, John is looking back as this guy in his 70s going, I remember that day. And that was the day that I believed. He was probably referencing back to John 2. 
Jesus had promised them. He's answering all these people different things. And he said, look, destroy this temple. And they thought he was referring to the temple that had just built. And in three days, I will raise it up. And the Jews said, man, it's taken 46 years to build that temple. And you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. See, these are the people nearest to Jesus, the ones closest to him, the people that, that, that knew him and even would go so far, some of them, to die. They, they believed so much in Jesus. They were so loyal to him. They so understood who he was that John's saying, I remember that day like it was yesterday, and it changed my life completely. See, the thing about these people, and the key to this is that everything he's talking about, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He obliterated the grave. When he got ripped out, the idea is, is that he came out, and it says he showed himself to Peter, and he showed himself to Mary, and to John, and to the disciples, and he even showed himself to his family, and even so much so, it says, he showed himself to over 500 people. People that followed him loyally even to the point of being willing to die. They followed him and took his message. And the reason that all of us are here today, think about this, is because these people who saw Jesus were so impacted by him that they took the message and it's now landed on the other side of the world into our lives. To say that day was big would probably be an understatement. He changed their lives completely. But not only did he change their lives completely, he changed also, even we're going to find out, he changed foes of his not just family and friends, but he changed people that were foes, that stood against him. That's how powerful this day was. Even in the midst of massive persecution, within, a few, within about 300 years, Christianity had spread over the entire Roman Empire. Nothing would ever be the same. And I would say this, and just to kind of, I don't think this is an understatement to say, there has been no person ever on the face of this earth that has impacted this world more than Jesus, both in the past, both present, and the future. And if you don't believe me, then why in the world are billions of people over these next 24 hours worshiping Jesus? Billions. Who would have ever thought that? This guy from the far end of the Roman Empire would so change the world. He didn't change it through war. He didn't change it through power. He changed it through something completely different, a message about the gospel that was so impactful that it changed people so much that they were even willing to risk their lives to continue to advance it forward. But I think at the key end of it, this is the question that has to be asked, is who is really Jesus? So you ask that question to people, and I think some people would say, oh, you know, he was a good man. Or no, 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 he wasn't a good man, but he was a really good teacher. No, no, he wasn't a teacher. He was actually a prophet. No, 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 what he really was was an enlightened soul. No, actually what he was was he was a God. No, actually he was, he was an archangel. See, what happens is everybody tries to fashion Jesus into the form that they want. They kind of, they kind of grab their little Jesus, and they kind of decide, I know the Jesus I want. And so for some people, they like the 70s Jesus, don't they? Remember him? He was the one that had a lamb on his shoulders with the long, wavy hair, with a smile like this, with the mentos. You know what I mean? He's like sitting there. There was the 15th or 16th century Jesus. Remember that one? That one drives me nutty. The, go the kind of the gaunty Jesus where he's all like. He was a carpenter. What was he sitting there? 
But we all kind of shape Jesus into the one that we want. For some of you, you like, to, you like Jesus to be your adventure Jesus. So you take him along with you everywhere you go. And he's your little buddy. And you walk around going, come on, Jesus, let's go on adventures together. Some of you, like Jared talked about, you show up a couple times a year. You show up and there's Jesus and then you put him away. See you at Christmas. <laughs> there's others of you that, oh, you like the music. Especially those kind of 25 and under. Oh, they love to come in and sing the songs. And so it's, I love Jesus. This is great. All those Jesuses, though, couldn't defeat death. Let's shoot really straight. All those Jesuses are nice. And I hear everybody all the time say, well, I kind of think Jesus is this. The thing that I love about what John does, though, and all the people that follow him, they don't let us get our own image of Jesus. These ones that knew him best, they tell us exactly who Jesus is. Because our job is not to make a Jesus that we want. God is very clear about that. He has given us Jesus, and our job is not to conform him. Our job, if he's truly the one that defeated the grave, if he's truly king, our job is to conform our lives to him. Now with that then, we, that's where we're at with John. He's going to seek to answer this question, and that's what we've been seeking to do over the last year and a half, is to answer this question, Who, who's Jesus? I mean, doesn't it make sense, instead of asking all these other people, we should ask those that actually knew him. And so what John's going to do is he's going to answer this particular question on who is Jesus, and so here it is. Jesus was a man who lived about 2,000 years ago. He had a father named Joseph. He had a mother named Mary. And I know some particular faiths don't teach this, but he had four brothers and he had sisters. He grew up inside of a home. His dad was a carpenter. Somewhere along the line, he would have been brought up. He would have been raised to swing a hammer. He would have been able to, to do woodwork like his dad had done. We also know, though, that probably his father passed away and he would have been left the family business to take care of it. And he would have been taking care of his mom. But when he turned 30 years old, everything changed. He knew what God had called him to do. And so at that particular point, he went off and he started a ministry in which he was bringing a message to the world about who God is. And specifically, also, the claim of who he was. He needed to help others understand who he was. So he went around for three or four years and began to teach the message of who he was in light of who the father was. And as he taught, people started to follow him in different ways until all of a sudden, the thing we learned last week is that Jesus Christ was wrongly convicted. He was falsely accused, convicted of a criminal offense. He was hung on a cross. And all the while, that's why we celebrate Good Friday. Most people didn't have a clue what was happening, but he was defeating sin and he was defeating Satan. But then he had a promise. And Paul said, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the grave, then all the rest of it is hooey. But Jesus Christ did come back. And this is John's story. You've got to understand, he's saying Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't any of those things. Jesus is, to John, he is God. And so that's what he's going to lay out for us. And he's going to talk about who he claimed to be. And so what I want to do today is I just want you to show, I want to show you not what do others say about who Jesus is, but who does Jesus say who he is and who do others say Jesus is? And here's the first one. 
The first thing that we need to understand about Jesus is he's the Messiah. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. In John 4, there was a woman in Samaria who he'd come to, and he offered her, he said, living water. And so she looked at him and said, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He was bold about his claim. He said, I am the Messiah. The Messiah was the one that the Jewish people were looking for who was going to come and rescue them from all the oppression. He was the the Savior of Israel. Now, in the back of Israelites' mind, and this is why they rejected Jesus, is that they were in their heads looking for a Savior who was going to come and and make family better, who's going to come and make our finances better, who's going to come and help me get a better job, who's going to take good care of government. Sound familiar? But the Messiah didn't come that way the first time. He came the first time because he knew our biggest problem wasn't jobs and careers and money and houses and all these other things. He knew our biggest problem was we were not right with God because of this thing called sin. We had been in rebellion against God. Jesus loved us. And he came into this world and as the Messiah, that's what he came to do, to rescue us, not from all these things, but to actually rescue us from ourselves. Well, how did they know he was the Messiah? Good question. Look at this one, John 4. There's this woman talking to him, and so the woman's blown away that this is truly the Messiah. And so it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me, she said, all that I ever did. In other words, she stood there, and everything about the story is is that Jesus began to tell her about her life, even the things that no one should know about. And at the end of it, she's like, No way. Some about you. Little did she know that from that moment on, though, Jesus was going to heal the blind. The lame would walk. The deaf would hear. Those that couldn't speak would speak. He was going to walk on water. He was going to stand up in front of a storm, and in the midst of it going on all around them, with all of his guys in the boat, he says, peace be still, and the water just went absolutely placid. And if that doesn't blow you away, John 11, he, went, he goes into his friend who's been dead for a few days, and he says, Lazarus, come out of the tomb. What does Lazarus do? He comes out of the tomb. She had no clue. All these were evidence that this truly was the Messiah. But not only was he the Messiah, he also claimed something else. He claimed to be sinless. See, look at this slide. He's standing in front of a group of people who are con- trying to convict him of certain things, and he says this statement. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Now, you've probably heard the statement before, right, where it said, ah, nobody's perfect. Jesus says, I am. He literally stood in front of them and said, what have I done? His mother, his brothers, his friends, all these different people attest to the fact Jesus Christ was the sinless one. In him was no guile. There was nothing about him whatsoever where he ever offended the Father. He was always obedient to God. So it wasn't just the miracles, it was the fact that this one was sinless. Now this becomes important because only the sinless one could bear the wrath that was owed us. But not only that, not only was he the sinless one, but we also know that he claimed to be something else. Because he could do all these miracles, because he was the sinless one, he takes on this title. He was talking to a group of people and he says to them, Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, You are blaspheming. In other words, he's saying, you're accusing me of blasphemy. Why? Because I said, I'm the son of God. Now look how he connects this. 
If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe in me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. He's like, you've seen all the works. I'm who I say I am. I am the Son of God. Now to them, you've got to understand, this just infuriated them. In fact, at one point it says they all picked up stones to, st- to stone him. And he says, what good work have I done that you're stoning me? And then they take it a step further, and it's exactly what Jesus was trying to say to the world. They said, we're not trying to stone you because of a good work. We're stoning you because you, being a man, claim to be God. See, don't buy all the hooey where people say he's a good teacher and he's a good man. He never claimed to be those things. He claimed to be one thing, and that is God in the flesh. He's not meant to be conformed. He's meant to be worshipped. And so with that, then we have other claims. Not only did he claim that, but we now know where he came from. In John 6, he said this. He said, look, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. See, the idea that he's talking about here is, is that some people teach that somehow we as humans become gods. He wasn't a man that became a god. He was God that became a man. Now, this is huge. This is so huge. In order to pay the penalty of our sin, he couldn't just be anybody. He needed to be a man because the Bible talks about it, that what we are owed because we've offended a holy God is we are owed the wrath of God. We deserve to die. So in order to accomplish that, he had to become a man. But you know this. None of us in this room could pay the penalty of sin for the world. But God could. That's the beauty of him being the God-man. He came down and was able to absorb the wrath on our behalf. That's what's so amazing about that. But not only did he claim to be from heaven, he even goes further. He says this about himself. I and the Father, we're one. He goes on in John 14 to make sure we understand it even clearer. If you, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. He says in another verse, he says, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now what he's saying there is they're not exactly the same. They are are different persons. They're the same exact God, different persons in theology, kind of church world. We talk about it being the Trinity. But in it, he was saying the Father and I, we are equal. We're absolutely equal. And he even goes in and explains how we're equal when he talks about this in John 1.1. John says about him, in the beginning, look at this, was the word. The idea, it's almost Dr. Seussish. He was wasing. He was wasing the word, and the word was wasing. He was existing with God, and the word was God. Jesus was the word. He was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. See, at this point, you're just sitting there going, this Jesus isn't, he's not like what all these other people talk about. He's the one that formed the whole world, that spun it into existence, that that spoke it, and it became what this world is. He's the one that says in Colossians that holds all things together by the power of his might. Every last molecule, every last galaxy, everything about it, he is holding together. And this little one, to make him somehow this little guy, are you kidding me? This is going to hold the universe together? Nobody works as my buddy. No. At the end of the day, this is who he said he was. Now I bring all this to this point. 
Because he was this one, because he was the one that spoke the world into existence, he was God of all gods, he was king of all kings, he now has something else to say. He says, I'm offering you something that only I can offer. Look at this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So here's the beauty of it. Because he was who he was, he has the right to offer life, and not just any old kind of life. When he says eternal, he doesn't mean just quantity. He means quality. When God spun this whole thing to existence, that's what he meant. He meant that I am here to offer you what I intended. When he created this world, he intended that we human beings would have life, and life amazingly. The problem is we offended that holy God. And because of it, our world careened. And here's Jesus coming into all of it and saying, as God, I am offering to you life like you've never known. And by the way, generally we talk about it being in the future. He's not offering it just in the future. He's offering it right now. See, the problem is we've taken, and the Bible talks about this in Jeremiah 2. It says that here's God, and he says, there's two evils my people have committed. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, meaning the one who gives them all things. He says, instead, they've, sown, they've hewn out for themselves cisterns. They've hewn out for themselves holes that hold water with nasty maggots in it. He said, that is absolutely offensive. But that's what humans have done. See, God created all things to enjoy. The other day I was talking with my friend about this. I was saying, think about it. God created mountains not for us to necessarily just climb them. He created mountains for us to go shut up. He created stars so you can be romantic with your wife on a walk. Maybe not. But <laughs> sounds cool. He created the sun to warm this earth. He caused the whole universe to do what it does. So at the end of the day, in, in Psalm 19, it says the heavens declare the glory of God just for us to go, no way. The problem is we've taken some of the good things of God and instead of using them like he's asked us to, we've done them to our own selfish end. So a lot of times you bring up the concept of sex. Did you know God intended sex to be a great thing? Now some of your parents are going, my kids are here, that's Okay. Sex is a great thing. The problem is we abuse sex, and instead of keeping it inside of marriage, what do we do? We go seek to try it outside of that, and God's like, I didn't design it that way. I mean, doesn't it make sense if God created the universe and he created you and me that he kind of knows how this world works, and yet we go, yeah, no thanks, I'm going to do my thing. That's the rebellion where we've stood for years and years against God and said, God, forget you, I'm going to do my thing. That's why God is going to punish it. But here's the great news about it. This verse that we have oftentimes see behind goalposts, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, and here it is, but have eternal life. See, 60 years ago, I... My grandpa, he heard the message of the gospel that a guy was preaching at something, telling everybody about who Jesus is. He embraced the gospel. And let me tell you something. Thursday, when he died, something tells me that 60-year-ago decision was a great decision. Man, right now, talk about an Easter with Jesus is that this is what this is all about. It's about not just a life now, but it's also about a life forever with God. And by the way, it's not like a floating around a cloud playing a harp. Are you kidding me? No wonder people don't want to go to heaven. Gosh, 
We're going to be just as tangible as now. We're going to be able to interact with other people. Those of us that know Jesus in here, those of you that might come to know Jesus, are you kidding me? We're going to look at each other a thousand years from now and go, shut up, it's true. Yes, it's true. But in the middle of all of it will be this one that we've talked about, King Jesus. And this is where I want you to listen so carefully, maybe those of you that don't know Jesus. Jesus claims to be all those things, but one of the last things also that I want to make sure you understand is he claims to be the judge. It says, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is how serious it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has this life that I've been promising both now and forever. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. See, I don't care who you are. Every single one of us, the Bible says in Philippians 2, one day we will bend our knee. Every last one of us. And the thing about it is, and there's a passage in Revelation chapter 20, and it talks about this very judgment. Let me just read it to you. Revelation 20, starts in verse 11. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, that's being Jesus, from his presence earth and sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. See, this is why this message does matter. Jesus is king, whether you believe he's not or not, believe you, whether you believe he is or not, Jesus is king. And I'm looking out at all of you saying, now's the time to bend the knee. He's not just here, though, to escape you from hell. This isn't about fire insurance. He's not trying to sell you hell insurance today. He's trying to now look at you and say, that's an aspect of it. But the bigger aspect is, is he's offering you life like you've never known. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, Jesus is offering life. But the only way that my name is ever written in that book of life is that I have to believe. And let me tell you something. On one edge, there will be the horror of those that realized I should have bent my knee when I was on earth. But for those of us in here that know Jesus, can you imagine the day your name is read out of the book of life? Whoo! Like, I'm not a good dancer, but I'd even... <laughs> yes! Let me just be clear. Those of you that don't know Jesus, maybe even those of you that, man, you're not sure, at the end of the day, you've been in rebellion against the king. And so today, the call is, is to come to the king and to say, King, I'm so sorry. I've rebelled against you. The Bible calls this repentance, to acknowledge that you've done wrong and turn and go the other way. And then I would say to you, if that's your heart, than to follow Jesus then with everything he is. If he's king, and I know there's some of you in here that said a prayer, you might have said something, think that somehow that fire insurance is going to save you. The Bible also talks about it's not just saying a prayer, it's about following Jesus. It's about being with him. 
It's about following him in his footsteps. When he said, I've called you now to be my witnesses, now we're to be a group of people that are follow the king in that way. So if anybody wants to, we'd love to talk with you. You can come on up. Or if you want to be baptized today, the way in which we confess is not to come forward for an altar call. And, and I was a kid that did the altar call when I was little. But the way the Bible actually says is be baptized. That's what Jesus says, be baptized. And so if today you'd like to get baptized, we would love to baptize you. But could I have everybody stand up now? Here's how I want to finish. For those of you that do know Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is reigning supreme, and he's reigning as King of the universe. Not only is he reigning as king of the universe, but the promise is that in one day he is going to come back. There will be a shout, there will be a trumpet, and King Jesus will come back and he will right all the wrongs that have ever occurred on this planet. And we also know from, not yet, careful, careful. Somebody call the med team, quickly. Not only that, but he has a future for us in eternity, like I said, not in a weird, kind of foggy, weird, woo, state. He has a future for us to live with him forever. When I was young, one of my huge dreams was to climb Mount Everest. And I know some of you are looking at me going, homeboy, you, you, I don't think you could climb Everest now. They might roll you up, but you're not going to climb it. <laughs> when I started to understand how amazing heaven was, the new earth that's coming, and how long we had, my bucket list went by the wayside. I'll have eternity to climb mountains. All these goals and dreams that we have about houses and cars and all these different things, do you get? Don't worry about what house you live in. Jesus promised in John 14, 6, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may also be. And by the way, I have many mansions. Man, downsize now for a bigger one later. You know what I mean? It's like, geez. But, last thing for those of you that know Jesus. Never, ever forget, no matter what happens on this earth, Jesus wins. He wins. Amen.